Hey, sorry about that. <laughs> All right. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Craft Business Life Podcast. My name is Lee Solomon. This is a podcast all about, uh, mostly about uh, actors and other artists like that, but it's also about uh, all different people and their careers and just how they do what they do and really getting into the nuts and bolts of things. And I'm very excited about my guest today for a lot of different reasons. Um, First of all, if you are in the podcasting world or a fan of podcasts, you're probably familiar with the Adam Carolla Show. If you're not, then I don't really know what to tell you, but you should be. And, um, you know, uh, he's pretty much the biggest podcaster out there. Um, So one of his um, uh, uh, sidekicks, his sidekick and sound guy on the show, Brian Bishop, bald Brian, um, his wife, Christy Bishop, uh, has not only been on the show to break down commercials, uh, because that's what she does. She's an advertising executive. Um, and then from that, she started her own podcast very recently called Commercial Grade, which has been fantastic. And she really delves into the nuts and bolts of advertising and commercials and stuff, and it's fascinating. And long story short, she is my guest today. So, Christy, thank you again so much for doing this. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, this is really all about your career and the nuts and bolts of advertising and teaching people out there who may be interested in an advertising career, um, what they should maybe think about. But before that, let's talk about your podcast, because again, that's how you and I connected, and you are uh, fairly new to it, uh, as am I, and um, you know, you decided to do it based on your Corolla appearances, and, and you've been doing a fantastic job. But I'd love to know how it's been for you, what you've learned, what the most surprising things have been or the biggest challenges have been, and, you know, what what this new experience is like for you. Yeah, the podcast, yeah, I'm new. (laughs) I'm a newbie. I'm uh, eight and a half episodes in. I'll say that because the preview didn't really count, so eight real episodes in. And it's been, it's been great. You know, I think uh, it's definitely challenging and I'll, I'll talk about that, but I think I have an edge up only because I'm kind of in that podcasting world tangentially uh, mm-hmm. due to obviously the Adam Cole show and, and my husband Brian has uh, the film vault as well. So I've been, I've been around it for, um, you know, 10 years now, which is insane. And prior to that, the radio show world, um, and I actually used to work for a radio station. So that all kind of comes naturally, but being behind the scenes is one thing um, and like making marketing presentations to a lot of people is another thing, which is my like real career, but being on the mic and being responsible for creating your own show is like wildly different. (laughs) So um, one of the things, so I I love it. It's been really fun. Um, The evolution of starting out on the Adam Carolla show in July when Adam was uh, nice enough to ask me to come on, it's kind of that, marketing expert and for people who aren't familiar with it so the the segment was called um uh, commercial commentary or corolla's commercial commentary where i'm i'm in advertising i have been for a very long time and i would basically come in and kind of give the behind the scenes look into advertising campaigns and marketing and, and answer questions um you know good bad and otherwise that then evolved to be commercial grade and after eight or nine months of doing that with the corolla show um people are like amazing on Twitter. They're either perfect or they're horrible. There's really no in between. And lucky for us, people are pretty great to us on Twitter. And I got a lot of people asking if I had any interest or intention of turning it kind of going, going solo, you know, and the answer was no, (laughs) I had never thought about it. I like had no, not that I didn't have any desire, like literally had had never occurred to me. It was just like, no, like this is a fun side thing. You know, I don't get paid for it. It's just, I I love their, their family to us, you know, it's just like a show up and do my thing and I go, Um, but then it kind of just stuck in the back of my head. And then I started just looking at all my different contacts from the years, like my network and advertising. And I realized there are so many people who are so compelling with such expertise and so much to say that like people who are not in advertising and even people in advertising could learn from. So I put together a content calendar. And as you know, that that takes a lot of time and um, with ask the listeners what they wanted to hear. And, you know, I've got a list of like 50 or 60 things. <laughs> so I guess I'm stuck doing it for a little while, but it's been really great. So, you know, a few things to, to break down in there. First of all, 
you know, your style of podcast is very similar to mine. My whole thing is taking the time to talk to people about what they're experts on and really get into the detail. So, yeah, listening to the guests you've had on so far and yourself has been uh, so cool. And, again, it's exactly the kind of podcast that I'm a fan of and that I try to do. Um, but let me ask you um, – tangentially, because you mentioned about all your years with Brian and being tangentially in that world and not thinking it was something you would do at all. Um, when you're with someone who does that day-to-day and an extended part of that family, I have to ask, like, do you listen to ACS every day or do you not even, like, need to hear it sometimes? <laughs> like, I I have to, I mean, I've, I've admitted this in the past, I, I never listen to it. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but, but, but that's not for any reason other than I have never, ever been into podcasting. Um, right. Uh, so, so people who uh, listen to podcasts fall into a few different categories. Like they either, um, you know, they're at the gym, and so they, ha- and I always listen to music. I'm like that playlist person. I need something to pump me up. Mm-hmm. They have long commutes. Uh, my commute was always like between eight and fifteen minutes, and it was often on a conference call. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have children, so like they have a little bit more time to like right. do something, you know, whatever. Um, or they're just like early adopters, and I really never was that way. So when I started getting into podcasts after I left my my uh, most recent position in October, like now I'm I'm, I'm all in. Like I listen to like fifty podcasts, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I wasn't I wasn't in. And I and I never listened to the Kroll show. I I think I've listened to half a film ball episode, but I I hear them record every week when they record, and I uh, I feel like I know it really well. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> yeah, of course. Um, so, um, yeah, so many things. I hear you on that because like a lot of my listening time takes place in the car as well for various reasons. But um, so. Uh, what has been, in terms of your podcast so far, what's been the biggest challenge? I would say the, probably two things. One, just figuring out the, so, so if you're starting from scratch and you're not in the podcasting world, it can be overwhelming to figure out, like, how to get started. So mm-hmm. what equipment you need, yeah. Yeah. Um, what type of recorder do you need, um, can you afford that? Because there's several hundred dollars, like, they're not cheap. Yeah. And for this to be a quote-unquote hobby, like, equipment runs almost, like, you know, 800 to to $1,000, depending on what you're doing. Yeah. Um, you need to have the right types of microphones. Like, I had, um, I got two very generic microphones. They were fine. And then Mike Dawson who is the voice and a producer on the Corolla show was like, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, no, those are not the mics you're going to use. So I was lucky and he got me to like, I have the mics that the Corolla show uses and they're amazing and they're heavy and they feel substantial and they're great. But that was hard. And then, um, luckily again, I have professionals that I can rely on for advice, but also the, um, I've edited in the past. So the editing is not an issue. I, I found that this incorporating, like external sound. So like I'm often, I found a way to rip commercials off of YouTube and iSpot TV to put them into my podcast. So I'm not just, I'm not just editing voice. Like I don't, I don't just edit like here, turn on the recorder, turn it off, throw it in GarageBand or Adobe Audition, whatever, and edit it. I have to import a lot of different elements, whether it's music, whether it's an ad, um, whether it's me talking over an ad that doesn't have dialogue. And I found those levels really difficult. Um, And and then also, like, the first episode or the second episode where the levels really were not particularly great, I just didn't – I converted it to an MP3 and I threw it up on Libsyn, which is, like, you know, a syndicated platform that you distribute uh, podcasts on. Yep. And I never listened to – I never listened to the MP3. <laughs> so I didn't know. <laughs> like, that it, it didn't sound good. So now, through trial and error, I always listen to the MP3. And so I've probably listened to each show three or four times in its entirety and in chunks. But that was really – I found that both surprising and challenging, but I've luckily, in, of course, you know, across like three or four episodes, I think I've, I've gotten really close to nailing it. So it's, it's always a work in progress, but that was pretty hard. No, absolutely. I'm um, thing, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just to say the other thing is like, I'm a naturally outgoing person, but it, like there's a lot of prep involved, like a lot of prep, particularly with the type of types of episodes that I do. And I'm sure, sure. for you too, you have to really like, 
you have to know your guests, you have to know your audience, you have to know exactly what types of questions to ask. You have to, I script out a lot of it and I, I don't follow it to a T, but I want to make sure my guest knows exactly where I'm going, what I'm going to say, that I'm not going to throw them off in any way. Um, you know, but I found that the the amount of prep that goes into a quote unquote, you know, just a podcast where a lot of people think you just like turn on a mic, you know, spew some stuff into it and then like you're done. That's not it at all. Like it, I can easily see where it could be a full time a full time job. Yeah, and uh, what's great about you as well, and what's great about the whole podcast universe is that you know you were very honest about that on the show. You said on the show, "Hey guys, I'm still figuring out this sound thing." Everything you just told me, you said publicly on the podcast on your podcast already. So um, you know, which is great because it, it just. We just, you know, we're all human, we're all doing this, and uh, the podcasting thing has been a great way to just kind of, for us all to feel, you know, just kind of communicative and, and equal with each other. Anyway, that's really yeah. great, and I'm really happy you're enjoying it. I am personally loving this. I've been thinking about it for a while, and it's, it really is one of the coolest things to do, so I'm I'm really happy with it. But okay, Good. so uh, often, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so let's get back to you and your career. Um, so what is your background? Where are you from? And how did you end up in advertising? So I'm from, I'm originally from Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, so you've stayed, you stayed pretty much local around there your whole life. <laughs> oh, no, 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 definitely not. Oh, <laughs> I sorry, got, my I got mistake, out. my mistake. No, I got out. <laughs> okay. I was, uh, so I went school all the way through college. Um, Brian and I both went to USC, University of Southern California. And then after that, after that, I really, um, it was one of those things where like, I never really thought about, I mean, I worked through college, I had many jobs. I've always been really driven. I think it's like my athletic background from being like younger and swimming and volleyball. So very disciplined, very like ambitious, but it never really, I never really knew exactly what I wanted to do until I hit, I had like an advertising, I was a communications major at USC and a journalism minor. So I always loved um, talking. (laughs) I love chatting. I love asking people questions. I love being inquisitive, just, you know, learning about people, um, like kind of what makes them tick. And I remember sitting in, I can tell you exactly which room it was, exactly where I was sitting. And it Mm -hmm. was, I actually still, I still have the book. Like I kept it. I was reading a book in an advertising class and it was going through the different departments in an advertising agency of the different functions. And it came to this one function called account planning, which is um, also alternatively called strategic planning. And there was this little paragraph on the bottom left-hand side of the book that basically talks about it's the voice of the consumer and you do a lot of research to figure out what makes people tick. You ask them a lot of questions about themselves. You find kind of interesting subconscious ways to, or interesting subliminal ways to tap into their subconscious. So it's not just them telling you what they think you want to hear. And then you take those types of insights and you inform them into an advertising campaign. So like the things that you learn become fodder for the creative that you then see um, on TV in a finished execution. And I remember thinking to myself, Holy cow. Um, I don't think you can swear, so I'll just say, holy cow. <laughs> um, oh, you can say anything you want. You can curse. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> oh, I, was like, I was like, holy shit. Like, you can, you can get paid for this? Like, yeah. this is a job? So that kind of, like, sparked this whole thing in me. And, but then I didn't know really where to go from there. It just kind of sat there. And so then after college, um, or as I was getting towards the end of college, I was like, you know, I think I want to, forget all these GEs, like this has been fun, blah, blah, blah. But I really kind of felt like I figured out what it was or like what I wanted to do towards the end of college. So then I was like, all right, you know, I'm not looking to grad school. Like it had never occurred to me in my life to occur to, to go to grad school, kind of like podcasting. Um, but I got this like itch to look into it. And I ended up applying to a few different um, programs that had a specialty in what's called IM, IMC, so it's Integrated Marketing Communications. And um, the two best programs in the country are at uh, Northwestern, in, uh, just outside of Chicago, and then UC Boulder in Colorado. And then there's like a secondary school that's great, and that's um, uh, University of Arizona. So they've got some great programs. So I applied to all three, did not get into Boulder or, um, or Arizona, but I was, and I was waitlisted at Northwestern, and I was like, wait, what? Like, how, how, did, how did that work? I couldn't even believe that I even got waitlisted. It was like the best day of my life. 
Um, so I was like, all right, I'm going to have to work for a year, figure out what I'm going to do. So I was applying to all these jobs. Um, keep in mind, this was 2001, the summer of 2001, mm-hmm. uh, two, two months before 9-11 hit. Yeah. So I ended up, you know, the summer went by, and then I ended up getting a note from Northwestern, because this is pre-email time, saying that, just kidding, your deferment for a year um, has actually, like, come up, and you're in now. So within a month, I was like, I went from looking for jobs to basically packing up my life in L.A., and my mom going with me to, like, find an apartment in in Evanston, Illinois, and I was... I was the first flight out of LAX after uh, 9-11. Oh, my Literally gosh. Literally the first flight. Yeah, we were evacuated twice due to bomb threats, and uh, my mom came with me and moved me in, and I started school the next week. Wow. So, so yeah. Yeah, that was, that was like, my, like, foray into marketing, like, from a, a really hardcore perspective. Mm-hmm. So I did that for a year and a half one of the gnarliest experiences I've ever had. And I mean that in an amazing way. Yeah. It was full time, hardcore school. And it was gnarly because I was 21 years old and the average age of my program was between 27 and 30, meaning everyone had kind of lived their life right. and had worked professionally. And I yeah. was like coming off of internships and like part-time, like, you know, um, assistant jobs for like entertainment companies. So there was a lot like, I hadn't done finance before. Like I hadn't done a lot of the stuff these people had done. And so I worked my ass off. Um, you know, you couldn't graduate with below a 3.75. So like you, really? you had to find a way to like, wow. yeah, I, cried, I cried my way through finance, like legit cried my way through finance. Like I still hate finance. I'm good at it now, but I hated it. Right. And then I, I got an internship or a residency as you will. Um, I, I later found out there were only two spots for like 125 students and I was lucky enough to get one of them um, with an ad agency in downtown Chicago called Element 79, which had just split off from Foot Cone and Belding. I believe it was FCB. It started their own agency and it basically taken the majority of the Pepsi business. So that included like Quaker Oats, uh, Tropicana, Pepsi, obviously, Gatorade, um, and they were about to launch Propel. So I spent the summer working on those brands, supporting those strategic and account planning teams. And once that summer was over, I was like, all in. I'm like, all right, account planning done. Here we go. So then I tried to find a job in Chicago. Couldn't do it. Marketing was dead after 9-11. Like, forget mm-hmm. it. And uh, even a year and a half later, so I ended up moving to Dallas, <laughs> sight unseen, literally never been to Texas in my entire life. And that was the only place there was a job. And I moved on my birthday and um, kind of started my career in advertising at a place called Harwood Marketing Group, which is now defunct. And that kind of kicked it all off. So all amazing. And of course, I feel like an idiot for just off the cuff saying, oh, you stayed in LA your whole life. No. Sorry about that. But, no, don't um, worry. We only don't had worry. a brief uh, research communication period, so I'm sorry about that. But, don't um, worry. Yeah. But, so, you know, first of all, just to tell people who, who don't know, and not even for me, to be honest, very interesting point, which is what was the relationship between 9-11 and you said that affected the whole marketing universe? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was um, anything that did it. So, you know, the per- 9-11 happened, the, one of the worst events of our lifetime. In human and history, it, it, yes. Mm-hmm. In, in history ever. And yep. it, there's, there's pre-9-11 and there's post-9-11. Yeah. Post-9-11, not just for marketing, but as you know, for so many industries, everyone's panicked, 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 panicked. What was the world economy going to do? What was the U.S. economy going to do? Um, purse strings tightened everywhere. And oftentimes when there's a recession, some sort of disaster, some sort of horrible event, um, the marketing budget is the first to go. I see. So uh, marketing agencies experienced mass layoffs, hiring freezes, corporations had hiring freezes, and there was a, a delayed effect, um, or sorry, tail end effect, Nope, not delayed, not talent, long tail effects. That's the right one. Um, and so I started school right after 9-11, and I graduated in December 20, 2002. So it was just a, barely a year and a half later, yeah. and it was still that difficult. I didn't. My birthday's in June. I didn't even move until the next June. It took me six months to find a job. And, mm-hmm. and again, like 
down south in Texas, um, which technically is in the south. People will kill you if you say that Texas is Texas. But, um, yeah, there was a huge impact. But, you know, that that kick-started it. And then I was there for almost two and a half years. Then I was rec- – I've been lucky to be recruited places, um, which is a big thing in marketing and advertising. But I had a recruiter contact me, and I ended up moving to Scottsdale, Arizona, and I helped start a, an account planning department with an amazing woman named Kat Lingman, and she's just to this day one of like the most amazing women I've ever met. I had zero business doing it with two and a half years experience, but I, I did it, and I loved it, and it was such great learning. And then finally, my family was like, you have been gone for almost seven years. This is wild. Like, your grandparents aren't getting any younger. Um, you're just so close. Like, can you just keep moving west? So I ended up... Um, being recruited to a company called Team One Advertising, where I actually just interviewed my my former boss from 13 years ago on uh, on an episode of Commercial Grade, and um, I came back to LA, and that you know it all it all kind of just went gangbusters ever since then. So you are making me think about something. You know, uh, we're almost the same age. It sounds like I was a senior in college when 9/11 happened, and you know, I, obviously we all, you know, have thoughts about 9-11, but, but I haven't thought back. First of all, I'm very naive and didn't really realize, I knew in general that, you know, it could, could have or did affect the economy, and I heard things about that, but I guess I was so young and, you know, not in the professional world yet that it didn't really occur to me. And now looking back, I didn't really think about that. And I also... um thinking about like my own life right after that and graduating college and so forth against the backdrop of 9-11. It's, it's a context I don't really think back about anymore. And that, that is a really, uh, really poignant thing. So you definitely uh, got me thinking about some things there. So, um, but anyway, so um, in terms of what you were saying, that's going to, I'm going to jump around the order of my questions just slightly because, you were just you kept you said a couple of different times already that you had a lot to learn, you were very new, you you know, didn't really know what you were doing at first and were put in these jobs. So I'm gonna ask you now and then we'll get back to what you currently do and so forth. You know, advertising, I think a lot of people, especially young people, think of it as this industry that's very fun, very creative. And it can be portrayed that way in the media, ironically. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure it is in some ways. But I think, you know, if, if somebody young thinks, oh, advertising, I want to be in advertising, that's what I want to do. What are some general things you would tell them to think about and perhaps, like, warn them against misconceptions about it? Hmm. There are a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, like a lot, a lot of good, good things and some, and some things that people should just be aware of. Um, you know, it's funny. I talked with uh, Mark Miller, who I just mentioned, um, but not by name, who is my, my former boss or first boss in Los Angeles at Team One, and he and I were kind of reminiscing on this. And I think, yes, advertising is fun. Absolutely. The, the way that it's portrayed in the media, in TV shows, very different than Mad Men. Um, but, you know, it's, and, it, and actually, it's kind of funny, like the Googles and the Facebooks and the Netflixes of the world, anywhere that's creating content, like whether it's advertising, everything can be advertising, but at the end of the day, an advertising agency is there to create content. And so is a Facebook and a Netflix and whatever. And they've got so many perks to, to lure these young people in. Like you've got a state of the art gym on a state of the art gym um, where you can work out, you can do your Peloton, whatever. Um, you have volleyball courts, you've got basketball courts, we've got like laundry service pickup, we've got free um, five-star catering all day, any, any time that you want it. We've got nighttime events. We've got, you know, everything. The whole point of that is to keep you there as long as humanly possible. Right. So people getting into this world um, is an interesting juxtaposition between, like, millennials who are now older and, like, Generation Z who kind of are in their teens and, like, early 20s who are, like, going into this world demanding a level of, like, flexibility where, like, they don't want to sit in an office from, like, 9 to 7 every day. Like, they don't want to be bored. They want to have time for their side hustles. Like, they want to have time to to be them. Mm -hmm. When I was entering this industry, that wasn't the case. Like, I worked forever. Like, I would show up at work at, like, 7.30 in the morning. I would not leave until 11 o'clock at night. If I left at 9, like, I had a boss who literally looked me dead in the eye. It was, like, half day was dead serious. Like, absolute no joke. 
I had, I had like pneumonia on a Sunday during a new business pitch and my mom had to like go to CVS and pick up my medication to bring it to me because I could not leave work at four o'clock on a Sunday. Like my career has been intense. Um, so if, if anyone wants to be really successful in this industry, they need to, they need to work hard. Yeah. Like there's no just kind of hopping in and be like, oh, like I'm an assistant and next thing you know, I'm going to be a chief marketing officer. Like you need to pay your dues. Mm-hmm. But in doing that, I don't, I'm not suggesting that people suffer needlessly like or endlessly. People need to find the type of company they want to work for, the type of boss that they want to work for. Um, do they want to be with a small boutique agency where maybe they can rotate, you know, it's like 100 people, 50 people. They can rotate between account management and a media department and strategic planning and production and creative and even like finance and HR and IT and really get a sense of like what their passion point is or do they just want to work for like a huge conglomerate holding company which are like the Publicis, the Omnicoms, the WPPs of the world and be a tiny fish in a huge pond but like that's okay because you get all these perks um, you're you know you're just one of many but you work on a huge account. Um, there's tons of money supporting behind you, both from a salary and like a budgetary perspective. Um, but your experience might not be as like personal or you might be more pigeonholed. So people really have to figure out like the type of company, the type of boss, like if they're okay working for a taskmaster slave grinder, like fine. If you want someone who's much more like um, empathetic, someone who will support your career, someone who's going to be an advocate for your growth, they need to figure out those two things. And that expands beyond advertising and marketing. I think that just is good advice for careers in general. Absolutely. Um, but, those, but those are two things that I would really recommend that people look into when they're, regardless of whether it's marketing or advertising or you know, engineering or architecture, that they should look into when they start their career. Absolutely. And let's break down a little bit and all this stuff and more, by the way, I've learned a lot from listening to your podcast. And anybody who is interested, I recommend them listen to it because you get into a lot of this stuff in detail with your guests who are also in that world. So if you want to learn, you know, the real nuts and bolts of all this stuff, definitely check out Commercial Grade. Um, so let's break down in general, and I'm sure there's a ton, and I'm also sure it's much more complicated these days because of the whole Internet um, aspect. But in general, though, I assume, and please tell me if I'm wrong about this, there's in broad strokes two sides to the advertising world. And you've talked about this a little bit on your podcast as well. There's like the sales side, the people who are like getting the clients to hire you to do their advertising. And there's the creative side, the people who come up with the campaigns. Is that accurate to divide into those two categories? So it's more, it's more, I would say, marketing um, juxtaposed against advertising and marketing being more of the corporate business side. So like, for example, when I worked at Team One, I worked on Lexus. So Lexus was like the marketing arm. They were our client. They would provide us with business strategy, product strategy, overall like objectives or goals, like what, what they needed us to do. They would then give that to um, team one and the account team, account management team is the one that there, there's no salespeople in advertising. Sales is okay. kind of its own separate industry. Okay. Um, the account management team would then broker with the clients. Like they would be handholding with the clients and say, okay, here's the assignment um, that we're going to give you here. This is what we need you to do. Then the account management team would, br- would bring in the necessary department. So they would bring in um, my department to so strategic planning to figure out, Here's what, here's what they want us to do. Like they need us to sell uh, 200,000 cars in one year, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's very broad strokes. We would figure out who do we need to talk to? What do we need to say? Um, how are they different from the competition? What's the great, like the white space that they can fill? And what are interesting angles? We would then do what's called brief the creative team. So like um, uh, copywriters are often paired with art directors. So those are what creative teams are. We would brief creative teams who then would take that strategy and um, key messages and stuff, and they would turn that into advertising campaigns. And then they'd work with production, who then would work with, like, external production vendors to make it all, and directors and, you know, uh, casting agents and everything to make it all come to life. Yes, your interview on your show with the gentleman who does production was one of my favorite episodes. That was so interesting. 
So, um, so okay, so I, that makes perfect sense. So if you're a young person who's very creative, um, you know, you're, you, you know, whether you're, it's, you know, writing, graphic design, animation, all of the above, whatever it is, filmmaking, and you want to get into advertising for the creative part. You know, you say, I want to write these commercials. I want to create these ad campaigns. Mm-hmm. You know, can you, I guess you can have a career doing that, but what, you know, what, what do you need to know if that's your goal to be on that side of advertising? Oh, you can absolutely, you can have a huge career doing that, huge. Um, I, so, so two things. One, I think I would try to find companies that you really admire the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So find, like, for example, um, a great example right now for me personally anyway is Nike. So, um, uh, Nike works with Wyden and Kennedy, who's their aver- longtime advertising agency out of Portland. Um, they're the ones who just did the Colin Kaepernick ad last year, and they also just did the Serena Williams kind of um, Dream Crazier ad, so Dream Crazy and Dream Crazier. Oh, yeah, uh, you've been talking a lot about that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they're, they're spectacular. They're like A-pluses all day long, any yep. day of week. Um, yep. If you're a young person looking at that type of work or whatever type of work really just connects with you emotionally, mm-hmm. you're like, Jesus Christ, like, I need to learn how to write like that. I need to learn how to art direct like that. I want to produce like that, whatever yep. it looks like. Yep. Um, find those brands that you really admire. Find out who does that work. And go on LinkedIn or go, you know, IMDB, whatever it might be. Find the people who do that work and reach out to them. The worst they can say is no. Ask for a 20-minute phone call because right. you really love what they do. You're looking to get into this industry. Um, you're not looking to ask them for a job. You just right. want 10 minutes of their time to kind of get some advice on how to do it. Reach out and, you know, it often goes into the void on, on LinkedIn. Reach out no more than three times because then it gets creepy. Mm-hmm. Then it gets real weird and then people are like blocking you. Mm-hmm. Um, or tw- tweet to these people. Um, write them on Instagram. Like find a way to connect with them and just ask them for an informational interview and then narrow down the types of companies you want to work with and, uh, and see what's open. Makes perfect sense. Very cool. So, okay, great. So you've done a lot of different roles in the advertising world in your career. Um, you mentioned earlier that you fairly recently changed jobs. Um, so what are you doing now? You know, where, where, what's your company now and what's your position at this point? So my company now is me. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. So no, no. Don't don't be sorry. Because I because I, I guess this is why. Like again, I mean, I'm not as as prepared. We have we haven't had a chance to uh, prepare together as thoroughly as I should have for this. I'm sorry about that. And no, um, so I, and, I, I and also I remember when you were on Corolla. I guess it was some months ago. Maybe you were still at the other place. But anyway, you you explain. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I was with my most recent company who did, um, I, I ran our office in Los Angeles, um, this company called Spark 44, and we were a joint venture with Jaguar Land Rover and, and Range Rover, but the company is Jaguar Land Rover, and I was with them for six and a half years, and we went from four offices and, you know, 200 or 150 people to 19 offices and like 1,100 people over the course of one one year of my tenure there. And it was wild. We did some of the most extraordinary work for Jaguar. Um, we, we produced the British Villains campaign, which won like every award in the book. And I, I co-led that from a North America perspective. And then, you know, the last few years, as, as the startups are wont to do and anything grows really large, you, you kind of, I don't want to say you lose your luster, but the economy has been tough. The tariffs have been tough. Brexit has been tough or had, well, I guess it's still not tough, but it was really tough a few months ago. And um, companies in the UK were not particularly stable. Uh, Jaguarland were being one of them. So they ended up consolidating my Los Angeles office into our New York office. And they offered to move us to New York. And you know this, we have a two and a half year old Tessa. Um, My my family is in Los Angeles. I have already moved all over the place. I traveled, um, to say nonstop is literally a huge under, uh, that's underestimating it. (laughs) I I traveled like every two weeks for years and years and years, whether it was overseas or to New York or wherever. So we, you know, we kind of looked at the offer and we're like, you know what, we're, um, our time in LA is still in LA. And so we're, if we can't make it work remotely, I think it's, I think we're going to, we're going to move on. So I made the choice to leave and 
on amazing terms. Like I'm still extraordinarily close with, with pretty much everybody at the company. I'm sure. um, I took the holidays off, which are the first time in my life I've ever <laughs> given myself permission to like take time off. And right. that was when the genesis for the podcast really came into being. Right. And I started networking with my network and then meeting the funny thing with podcasting. I'm sure you have this too, is it's like, you need to meet this person. You need to talk to this person. You need to meet this person. People are so generous with their time and their expertise that like I've now started consulting for companies. So I'm doing my own thing, but doing strategic uh, planning, consulting, strategic management, consulting, change management, consulting. And I'm also talking to a few companies about full-time roles, but I don't know if I want to go back and do that again, to be honest with you. So, um, you know, having the flexibility to be with my daughter or our daughter at this point is so important to me. I don't want to be on a plane every, every week. Like I don't want to have to be leaving them because Tessa knows now she didn't know like, when she was really small. She, she yeah. like, if I don't pick her up at school or if Brian doesn't pick her up at school, like, although now I'm kind of offended because I think about it last night, the last two nights I picked her up. She's like, she doesn't even say like, hi mommy. She's like, why daddy know here? Yeah. If I was to leave, like she, she knows, and and I can't get this time back. So I would rather have my own freedom and my autonomy to still do what I do best, make a good amount of money at it. You know, if I can make what I made before, that's great, and still love it and spend time with my family. Like that's a huge win for me. You know, so that's that's where I'm at. Well, of course, that all makes sense, and of course, you've earned it, and that's great. You know, I thought when I heard you advertise your personal services on your podcast and stuff, I thought that was like a side thing for you. So, very cool that you're doing that now. So, um, I want to talk about your last job then, though, the Jaguar Land Rover thing. Um, but first, I want to ask, you know, as you were just alluding to, this is another general topic of this podcast. Obviously, it's different now because you have a child. But even before that, you know, you and Brian have been married a long time. Um, you had this really intense, crazy career um, and jobs. You know, and there's no easy answer to this, I know. But for you, how did you find balance or did you find balance between your career and your personal life? I think, like I kind of said, alluded to before, it was easier because she didn't, she was so young that she didn't know the difference. But um, I mean, even before I, Tessa was born, though. Oh, even before she was born. Um, you know, I, Brian and I are really good at living life. Mm-hmm. Like, I am, I'm so, so blessed, and I, would, I, I hope he would say the same thing, to have the most extraordinarily supportive um, amazing, like just loving husband of all time. And who, who is, he's my biggest cheerleader when it comes to my career. And he has always been like, you're just scratching the surface. And he says that now. And I know that to be true. And I've done some amazing things in my career. Like I'm, I've worked my ass off, but I'm, I'm, I know that like I've been really successful and he, he was never like, you know, I, I know friends who guilt their husbands or their wives when they got to go travel for work. And he was like, nope, we got to get you to the airport on time. Like, we ha- and he'd call me when you get there, and we would IM the entire flight, you know, because in-flight Wi-Fi. I was able to balance it because I never felt really far away, even when I was really far away. Um, yeah. And also, when I was really far away, he gave me the breathing room. Like, I'm a Gemini. Like, I've got kind of the double parts of me. Like, I'm, Brian's a Virgo. We're both, I'm like in astrology, so whatever. Um, he's very, he brings the stability, like, and I bring the fun. So if I need for my personality, those like, I needed those like nights in New York to like go out with my coworkers and just like shoot the shit and just like drink till two in the morning and have a great time and then come back just as much as he needs his poker nights and his boys nights. Like we get that. So we, he helped me balance. I help him balance. And now that we have Tessa, it's harder. Um, but we still manage to do that both together and on our own. That's so great. And by the way, (laughs) funny thing, you know, obviously we don't know you guys personally, but you know, if you listen to the Corolla show and know, you know, and think about what Brian does versus what you do and did in terms of your jobs and careers, for you to say that, that, um, wait, did you say that you're the fun one and he's the serious one? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah, that's, he's, that's, he's, that's, that's, that's yeah, totally yeah. counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, he's. Uh, I think just he's he's super fun. He, he, well, there's a difference between fun and funny. Right. He's hysterical. Like he's hysterical. He's the smartest person I've ever met. But yeah, he's got a super serious side to him too. Like he, and, but he's not so. It wasn't so much serious. Like he just brings the stability. Whereas like I need much more spontaneity in my life. Just like that's just kind of who I am. He's right. super cool like hanging out with the same routine every day. Like if I was to do that on days on end, I think I'd go completely insane. So like, we know that of each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. Stability is what you said, but still, it still seems counterintuitive given the types of jobs you each have. So that's wild. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, emotional stability, less, less so, uh, let's say less so like financial stability early on, Right, you know, right. He's killing it with podcasts too. But yeah, that's that's absolutely, more what I mean. Absolutely. Fair enough. All right. Well no, obviously you guys seem like you are absolutely terrific. And by the way, I also forgot, hello, another big part of this whole thing, talking about you having to balance your life. There was that whole period when you were helping him get through his whole uh, brain tumor. So there was that. Yeah. There <laughs> I'm was sorry. That, yeah. I should have mentioned that also. <laughs> it was, we're coming up on 10 years now, which is yeah. unbelievable. Thank goodness. Well, another, that whole thing is a whole separate amazing story, and his book is amazing and, and all of that. So just we're just Thank all you. really, really glad he's well. All right. So Thank getting you. back to, absolutely. So getting back to your last position with the Jaguar Land Rover Company, and you've talked about that a lot uh, on your podcast and on ACS. So first of all, you said that the the marketing company was uh, was a co-company with Jaguar Land Rover. Does that mean that it was an entity created entirely for purposes of advertising that company? Yes, it was a joint venture wow. that was created between the CEO of Spark 44 and the, the uh, global CEO of Jaguar Lane Rover to mm-hmm. provide kind of a never-been-done-before solution um, strictly for Jaguar Lane Rover, like 100% dedicated. Actually, it started out for Jaguar, and then when we did, um, Lane Rover was represented by a different agency. And then when we had the success with the British Villains campaign, um, JLR, as they're called, um, awarded Spark 44 with the Land Rover business and the Range Rover business, too. Incredible. So you guys had a singular client, a singular focus. Um, yeah. And you... Very rare. Very, very rare. Very rare, exactly. And you, um, if I understood you correctly, at, at the end of your tenure, when you left recently, you were one of the heads or the head of it? So I ran our Los Angeles office. I was Los our Angeles general manager. Office, right. Yep. Yep. And then I was also our executive strategy director, strategy and analytics director for North America. So I managed an office of 45 plus people here. It would flex depending on production. Um, meaning when we would go into production, we would bring in like freelance um, people and then also ran the North American strategy and analytics team, which spanned across our New York and Los Angeles offices. So, um, yeah, I mean, when I started, I was, I was, I think it was like employee number 23. Some, it was some ridiculous number. It was one of my previous coworkers who I was on the, co- I was on the corporate side at the time. I was at farmer's insurance in their consumer insights group, which is basically like really hardcore research. And he called me and was like, Hey, I, we're starting the startup. Like it's her Jaguar, like the brand's dying. We might not have a job in six months, but this is, this could be one of the coolest things we ever do. And I was like, I'm in, like I talked to Brian, he's like, let's do this. Let's do this. So we did. And I grew from just running the strategy team um, of the course of several years to then replacing the gentleman who brought me in. Cause he moved over to London to run our, a London office. And then I, I took his position as GM um, in L.A. and then um, continued on as the head of strategy and analytics. So let's break that down a little bit because, first of all, <laughs> sure. that sounds like two separate full-time roles. I mean, that, that, that's not right. like a simple, logical right. combination. You're doing two very separate, huge jobs, right? Yes. Yep, huge, yeah. Okay, it's so that's like crazy, a, a number one. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so we can talk about each of them, but in terms of the office manager part, that seems to me like at that point you're doing less of the actual advertising, creative, strategic, et cetera, side, and you're just dealing with sort of human resources and literally managing an office. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was. 
yeah. was working with our leadership team and in Los Angeles, and with, which represented each department, um, dealing with any morale issues, dealing with HR issues directly with HR, dealing with um, finance issues with our CFO, who is just who's like one of my closest friends and still an amazing partner. Um, working with the inner office relations between New York and Los Angeles, of which there were there were many, just because it was two different coasts. Um, and two different really like philosophies and then also since we are a global company and our like head headquarters were in London and then Frankfurt um, dealing with a lot of my global counterparts um, who were just like amazing it's such an extraordinary experience like just to know that I have like I have like an amazing friend in Dubai I can call up right now like an amazing friend in Sao Paulo like Sydney like Johannesburg it's just it's, I look back and like wow I got to do all that like and that's why I'm excited about whatever comes next because my experience I've always been where I'm meant to be in my career and I'm a true believer in timing um but yeah that was that was a big running that office was a really big additional responsibility to just the other strategy and analytics role yeah, and you know, that's a great attitude you have about it. And of course, those, those benefits are phenomenal and, and life changing. But you know, I personally am not really in that kind of corporate office world. So it just sounds nothing but stressful and overwhelming to me. But, well, but, <laughs> but you know, in terms of that side of it, outside of the, the positives that you just listed, which are tremendous, was the day-to-day of that, though, a bummer for you? Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a boss. I want to do what I was doing before in the actual campaigns. Or were you, did you actually really enjoy that as well? Well, no, I, no, I loved it. Um, because oh, I got cool. to, I got, so my, I'm, I'm just, my biggest thing is people. Like, mm-hmm. when people ask me, like, what my leadership philosophy is, it's like, I'm, I'm a boss who's all about my people. Like, I, I'm ride or die. Like, I hire amazing people. I cultivate amazing people. And to watch someone grow and leave the company to go find their dream job and spread their wings and fly is one of the most rewarding things for me as a boss and now as a mom. Um, sure. I, I was never out of the purview of the work, though, because the you know the 14 people or 12 people that I managed in the strategy department and, and being so intertwined with all the heads of the other departments, I saw I was across everything. Like, I saw every project. Um, I don't, at that point in time, I didn't need to be, nor did I want to be in the nitty gritty because you always hire people who are better at you, at, better than you at what they're meant to do at that lower level. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm not a micromanager, like I hire people I can trust, but to see, to see them get to do the things that I got to do because I have moved up in the world and I want to see them move up. That's not stressful. And it's not something where I was like, Oh God, I really wish I could still do that. Cause I just was helping them cultivate their own skills and their own um, passions too. So that, that was just amazing. Very cool. And um, talk a little bit about the other side of that, the strategy and analytics side. I mean, you said you were managing, what, what was it, the whole North American strategy component? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we grew from like three people to I think like 14 people over the course of a few years, and that included um, – basically integrate so integrated strategy which means all types of strategy so brand strategy which is pretty much like my specialty but then social media strategy digital strategy um crm which is like customer relationship management so that includes like email direct mail um uh, customer databases that kind of stuff i'm trying to think what else there are a few other ones oh retail strategy and analytics so any of the research that is coming through um the research projects like across the global company global network um ones managed by like the corporation getting the trickle down effect um uh, launching your own research to answer like deep burning questions about your audience or whatever to inform the campaigns it was i managed the team that did all of that so I guess Incredible. it sounds like a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's let's talk about an aspect of that because, you know, we're all aware of how intense the marketing world is nowadays. And let me tell you about it from a from a customer perspective. And I want to know what you think about this and, you know, how this factors in because it sounds like exactly what you were just talking about. I, frankly, these days 
am very annoyed that every single thing I do with any type of transaction results in me getting this email survey. We would love to hear your feedback. And I'm like, no, my feedback is if I'm happy, I'm going to buy the thing again. And if I'm not, then I'm not, you know. And it, it's overwhelming. I don't want to do a survey on every little thing I do. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I do. I understand. I, but I guess that's what you guys have to do these days. <laughs> Well, we so so we didn't launch those types of like like um, added value surveys like where you, once you've done something and I agree it's like but will you take this quick survey or if you call you know you're calling your like mobile phone provider it's like stay on the line for an extra three seconds it's and that's, everything no, I, now Christy I'm, everything I'm I'm not yeah I'm not doing that <laughs> the type of research that that we did it's super annoying and but I understand it like these poor people. Right need to get some sort of feedback, but also like they, right. someone's just bought your product and more often than not, it's about the purchase experience. It's like, did you find what you were looking for? Was mm -hmm. it easy? Mm -hmm. um, you know, was, was there a wait time? Um, right. Was the user experience seamless, blah, blah, whatever. Right. But um, our stuff was more about like, like, so, like advertising testing. So like putting together focus groups, putting together yep. um, advertising tracker. So you basically have, all the ads that you have out running in the world and you have people answering. And these are paid people. These are not like just, we're like calling them out of the blue. These are people who have passed very specific criteria to meet, like to be part of our target audience. Mm -hmm. And they're answering questions on an ongoing basis. So we understand kind of how the ad is landing. Mm -hmm. That's what we say. How does it, how is it landed? Mm -hmm. um, so it's that type of stuff. But, but yeah, the, um, those other ones are just freaking annoying. <laughs> I agree with you. Fair enough. But you're also, you're right that a lot of times it's about an experience. And I will tell you that, you know, and I tell people in my life this all the time, you know, when you try to get phone customer service with a big company, some companies do it fantastic and I love calling them and some companies do it horrible and I dread calling them and I end up hanging up after 20 minutes because I still haven't, you know, reached the person. So if, yeah. if those surveys have led to improvements in that aspect of life, I'm, I'm all for them. <laughs> but anyway, um, so awesome. So getting back to um, your role as a office manager and running that part of the company and what you were saying earlier about, you know, general advice for people who want to get into the industry, and you said you hired people. So if you were counseling or mentoring a young person who was in school who really was, you know, a hard worker and wanted to be in advertising, um, what would be your advice for the, the job application and interview process uh, when you're brand new, you know, no experience, straight out of school, you know, how would you recommend they apply for a job and, you know, tips for, for when they get in the room for the interview? So the, there are a lot, in, in advertising in particular, there are a lot of recruiters out there. Mm -hmm. I, so I, I, it's hard to say for someone, because I've been in the industry for like 18 years, it's hard to say like for someone coming straight out of college mm -hmm. what they should do because it's, it's changed so much. Like back okay. in the day, we had like career fairs. You know, and maybe they still have career fairs. I don't know where they show up on your campus in tents and they give you like, you know, free t-shirts and shit. And then you want to like work for them. But like I said before, what I would say, what I would do is look at the types of work or advertising, look at the types of advertising or like content that you find amazing and that you love watching, you, you really admire and like you aspire to do mm -hmm. and get in touch with those types of people. Again, just for like an informational perspective yep. and see what advice they would have for you. Or if they have any contacts, if they know of anybody hiring, are there any internships? Gotcha. Like look at these companies and see if paid or not paid. Right. Ideally, I think now legally they have to pay. Um, see if you can get, just get in on the bottom floor. Like, and at no one who started in the mail room, you know, stayed in the mail room. No one right. who sta started out as a receptionist stayed as a receptionist. Like, right. just get your foot in the door, work your ass off, and just go around and get to know people. Ask a ton of questions. Um, but I would say in the in the interview process, I so I when they uh, when they consolidated our offices from LA to New York, I, I counseled, no joke, probably like thirty five or forty people through kind of like the loss of their jobs because they weren't moving. Like I right. think two people moved. So the majority of people, they stayed in LA and they, they looked for other jobs. So no joke. I had a line out my door most days, my office door. Cause there's one wow. office and it was mine and I hated having an office, but you have to for confidential phone calls and whatever. Yeah. Um, but I had a line out my office door with people saying like, 
this exact stuff. Like, what do I need to do? I'm wow. so nervous. I haven't interviewed in three years. And my advice to people about interviewing is this is a conversation. Yeah. Like you are going in, you are interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. Do not ever walk. It's like, if it's a junior position, absolutely. Like you're not going to get paid a ton of money. Like you're going to have to work for some bosses who are maybe not super great. It's not all going to be perfect, but never walk in a job interview, assuming like you're lesser than like never, yeah. and not that you're better than people, but that like, you don't deserve what you want. Like, right. yeah, you're going to have to make some sacrifices because it's early in your career, but like, ask questions, like stay true to your instincts. Like if your gut tells you this isn't the right thing or this person's kind of an asshole, like, Oh, I don't want to work with these people. Like pay right. attention to the energy of the office when you walk in, like, is it dead silent? Like, are people laughing? Are they having a good time? Is the energy weird? Like, are they on time? Are they respectful? All of those things, like if remote, remote working is a big deal for you, like tell them like, I want to work from home one day a week. Like, do you have that policy? And if that's that important to you, like, stick to it. Um, yeah. But that's a lot of the advice that I would give to people. Makes perfect sense. Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. That's great. Okay, last question. And I told you I was going to do this. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm going to put you on the spot because, you know, when you first went on ACS, I, I, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people say this, but, I feel like Adam and I are simpatico in a lot of ways because he won't let things go. He questions things, and I'm the same way. And when he wanted you to break down a variety of campaigns, but we'll talk about the Discover one, um, you know, I was like, yes, I totally agree. It's so confusing. What are they doing? (laughs) And you got into some of it, but I feel like he didn't give you really enough time to really delve, and I'm going to ask you to if you would, because it would be so satisfying for me, and I think for a lot of people. So to set the stage, if people don't realize what we're talking about, there's been this pervasive Discover campaign for a while now. The tagline is, we treat you like you treat you, and there have been a variety of commercials, and they, and this is where the confusion comes in, because sometimes you think, you know, you call Discover and you see the person on the other end. And if I'm not mistaken, it's either the same act. It's, is it always the same actor or is it sometimes a similar looking actor? I think it's always the same actor. But again, this always this is part of the whole confusion because if you see a few of these, you start going, wait, so are they twins? Are they the same person? And then on some of them, they actually acknowledge each other as if they're friends or twins. So it's all over the place. And we get the, 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 the idea they're trying to convey, but if you think about it, it drives you a little crazy because we want consistency in terms of, you know, the actual people in the commercial. So maybe not everybody cares about this. Maybe not everybody overanalyzes it like this. But I have to ask because I think I think it legitimately is a little confusing. So so if you would, as you've already done, but if you could try to you know uh, do it again or, or really try to get to it if you can. Um, yeah. Why did with so many people behind the campaign like this and so much money? Why was it let happen this way? Why didn't somebody go? Wait a second. We're being a little vague. We're being a little confusing. We're being a little inconsistent. Let's fix this. I'm sure that I'm sure someone did. I, I have to believe that someone did. But when I look at it from a strategic perspective, like first of all, that that campaign, like you said, is we treat you like like you treat you, and it was mm-hmm. done by an agency called the Martin Agency out of Virginia, mm-hmm. and um, they also do all the Geico ads. Like they're the longtime Geico. Like okay, well, Geico like, ads are great. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But but not all of them. Some of them are super confusing, super weird. Okay, like, let's sure. see if it sticks. Like really bizarre, odd stuff. But yeah, but the ones that are great are great. Fair enough. Fair um, when I look back at this, the discovery campaign, I definitely see, I can, there's a thing called like reverse briefing where like I talked about the strategist brief the creatives, but if I look at a campaign or an ad, I can reverse brief it back to like, okay, this is, this is what the assignment was. And I'm fairly certain that the objective was to come up with some sort of creative idea that got a debate going and made Discover become what we call like part of cultural currency. So it's like, you really want people to talk about this. And the fact that it is kind of, it's not that it's even vague, it's just, it's like, 
are they or aren't they related? Is it or is it not the same person? This wild question being asked. And, and by the way, you're the exact same way as my husband, Brian. He is like, what is going on with these ads? Like, and he just like, throws <laughs> his hands in the air like, are they, why are they yeah. separate people? Yeah. Because they are, with the exception of one ad where they actually do have twins, Right. Um, every single one of the Discover ads are two completely unique, unrelated people who just happen to look nearly identical. So the, the, where the disconnect is for me from a strategic perspective is if you have a tagline that says, we treat you like you treat you, it should be you. Like it should be you as you and you as the other person, because then you are treating you like you treat you. Like that's a lot of you's, but hopefully that makes sense. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're trying, but that's, that's boring. Like no one's going to talk about that. Like, Oh yeah, it is the same actor. And people go, Oh, thank God. Like problem solved. When you say it's not the same actor, that's when the sparks happen. That's when the cultural currency happens. Cause people are going, well, why would you do that? Or other people say, that's brilliant. That is so freaking smart because, and the, but the issue thing, like where I have my like huge bone to pick is they were not oftentimes like the customer service teams who are like ones that are responding to people on Twitter. And I mentioned this on the Corolla show too. Yes, They're yes. not at all in some simpatico with like right. the marketing teams. Like they, right. they <laughs> are in different locations. They do not speak. They work for different companies. Yeah, yeah. And the customer service people like did not know what to say or did not have like a, a canned, like a standard line to respond to these people yes. like outraged yes. that this was happening. So a few of them were like, we just think it's interesting that there are so many people that look alike that aren't related. Right. And then my favorite was like someone tweeted, like a customer service rep tweeted back to someone who was like, well, I don't have Intel on marketing thought process, but what we've done really helps reinforce the campaign campaign idea. And I'm like, yeah, this fucking Intel on your marketing process. Like don't come out and say you don't know what they're doing. Um, But yeah, Yeah. I mean, the the bottom line is they were trying to like communicate really complicated, boring product benefits of this credit card, like no annual fee, cashback match, like the social security alert, like fraudulent alert. And they're trying to have these people break it down in an interesting, emotional, human way that causes a lot of conversation. Like that end of the day, that's the objective. Did it make everyone crazy? Yes. Did they achieve their goal? I think they did. So are you saying that the confusion was intentional. They wanted it to be a little confusing because it would generate buzz. That I would, I would, I would garner a 99% on that. I'm okay. never, I can never say 100% right. I that, think that was part of the, sh- the that show. That at least satisfies me somewhat because then at least, it, it, at least I know they knew what they were doing. Um, they, they had yeah. to. I, I hope to God they did. Because if they did, right. then it's just like... So that, like, that one, the one one, when it's the two women who end up saying, oh, Tina, Sarah, hi, that one, do you know or do you think, are they supposed to be twins or friends? That I don't remember, to be honest with you, because I've seen okay. so many of them. No I don't remember. I, I know there was one with two two women who were twins. Okay, um, I, think, I think that was the one. And so do you think that throwing that one in there was all part of that same strategy of, oh, let's, let's do one where we're blunt about it, but leave the rest vague, and that's part of the whole confusion thing? You know, so I can't answer that. And the only reason I'll say, like, from behind the scenes, when you're casting for people who look so much alike, I almost, like, I'd be curious to know how it went because I wonder if they went in saying, like, we're going to cast for twins. And they just didn't have a bunch of luck casting for twins. But mm-hmm. then they also cast for people who just looked identical. And then, they, who knows, maybe they fell in love with this pair of twins and they just thought they were great actresses. And they're like, bring them. They're amazing. We love them. Or they're like, we're going to throw them in as kind of like, you know, like a decoy, like a gimme. I, no one knows for sure. Um, but I think it's, I think the fact that they just had one related pair um, throws the whole thing into a, into a beautiful tailspin. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly like you're saying. Well, no, that, yeah. that, that's fair enough. And it's, it's still helps. It's very helpful to one, hear you agree with where we're coming from on this and to say, Maybe this is what they did this on purpose. That I'll I'll, I'll take that. I will accept that. <laughs> um, all right, Christy. Thank you so much for doing this. This was so much fun. It was great getting to know you. 
Um, tell everybody again about where they can find you, your podcast, your website, all that stuff. And of course, we'll post all this in the episode notes as well. Sure. It's uh, you guys can so the commercial grade podcast. It's uh, on iTunes. Um, you can listen to it really where you, wherever you want to listen to your own podcast. But um, it posts to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all of those wonderful places. Um, and if you're curious about more just behind the scenes of advertising, that's that's where you go. And then if you want to learn a little bit more about my experience, you can certainly look at um, christybishop.com. All the links to all the commercials that um, I review on the podcast are there. The links to all the Adam Carolla segments and appearances are there. Um, in fact, I just did one a few days ago and just called in to their show like two minutes before you called me today. <laughs> so, nice. um, yeah, so I'd say that's, those are probably the two best places. Um, if they want to see Brian and Tessa, I'm at Parting My Crumbs on uh, Instagram and Twitter. So those are the best places. Absolutely great. And of course, if you don't already, listen to the Adam Carolla show um, to hear more of Christy and of course the entire uh, Adam Carolla universe. So Christy, again, this was great. I thank you so much and I wish you best of luck in your podcast as well as your new professional endeavors and of course uh, getting to spend time with Brian and Tessa, which of course is uh, the most important thing. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. It's been fun. All right. Yes, absolutely. And everybody, if you have any questions for me about the podcast or anything, you can email Craft Business Life Podcast. That's all one word. Craft Business Life Podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, thank you so much. Bye.